Welcome to the Rainbows and Rain podcast, the podcast for early interventionists, where you'll hear stories, reflection, and coaching from the field. My name is Erica, and I'm an early intervention teacher in Minnesota. This podcast is about connecting through stories and reflecting on our practices during visits. Hear how I try to put best practice and research to work on the road and on real visits, looking to find the humor in it all. I hope this podcast helps you connect and reflect on your own visits and interactions with families. Rainbows and Rain is available wherever podcasts are listened to, so please share it with your EI friends. And while you're listening, please rate and review the podcast. The more you do that, the more it pushes the podcast in front of other EI providers and just grows our community. Um, you can find the podcast on Instagram. So check it out at rainbows underscore rain underscore podcast. This is episode 33 on the podcast. So thanks for listening. And I put a teaser on Instagram a couple weeks ago. I got a phone call from my supervisor and she had informed me that a family that I had been working with had requested another service provider. And this happens if you're new to EI, this does happen. (laughs) If it hasn't happened to you, um, it will happen to you. And it's a really interesting story. So um, my supervisor, who is new to me, um, I asked him like, okay, so are they getting another service provider that was typically what had happened in the past um, in the program I work in. And she said, no, we're going to have a progress review because the mom who called, what the reason she was requesting another service provider was that he, quote, wasn't making progress or isn't making progress or wasn't learning from me. And what makes this situation just even more interesting is that I had really felt a little bit connected with this mom. So it really threw me for a loop when I got this phone call and it even more threw me for a loop that she wasn't going to get a new service provider. Um, but that we were actually going to review his progress since that's really the reason she was citing that she wanted another service provider. So this is definitely, was definitely a new situation for me. I'm going to set the stage a little bit. I received this family. uh, So today is March 8th. I received this family in late November. We started visits in December. Uh, They transferred into our school district from another school district in Minnesota And I was familiar with how that district did those provided EI services. For example, their primary service provider model, just like like how it is where I work. And coaching is definitely best practice and is what's pushed. So I did reach out to the previous service provider because I was curious as to what his progress was there. And... Again, he had only been receiving services with them for a few months too. So, um, so anyways, uh, got in touch with the previous ECSE teacher and 
I'm happy to say it was an awesome conversation. Uh, yep. PSP coaching, no toy bag. Great. Cause that's exactly what my visits were. Uh, the toy bag show is a really hard show to follow. Um, so I was concerned about that. So I was glad I could rule that out as a factor. Um, so this really was just about his progress. And this student was a micro preemie, but he wasn't, he should have been receiving services, you know, since he came home from the hospital. But for whatever reason, um, he didn't start receiving early intervention or his parents didn't choose to have early intervention services until he was about 20 months. Mom is pregnant again. Mom just had a baby early February. So I've been really cautious about <clears throat> just keeping in mind that she, you know, she experienced a traumatic birth, obviously with her first, him being a micro preemie and being in the NICU for several months. And so just being really aware and sensitive to that. And um, she did have her baby full term and as scheduled. So that's really, really good. But she did share a lot of anxiety with me. Um, autism was brought up in the previous school district. It was openly talked about on our visits. Mom kind of talked in circles about it, whether she thought he might be on the spectrum or not. Um, they were being referred to a developmental pediatrician here in Minnesota. So a lot of, just a lot of factors at play. And I, the, I created a handout and shared it on Instagram. I'll put it in the show notes, but this situation really, I felt like ignited something in me where I'm like, parents aren't getting it. Like they want their kids to talk, but they're not getting or understanding like the steps involved in learning to quote talk. And that's exactly what was going on in this situation. Uh, we did have the progress review. It was myself, um, my team member, who's a speech therapist, and then my supervisor. Uh, we did come to agreement that I would continue as the service provider. Mom asked for more modeling from me, which I thought I was kind of doing more of anyways. Um, and that's definitely what the previous service provider said. She felt like she needed to model more for this mom. That was her learning style. Um, we decided to adjust his goal a little bit, but I was really intentional with the reflective questions I asked in this meeting. So for example, we were talking about, she's really working on the, the word more and help with him. And we've been doing this for a while. Um, and when I say we've been doing this a while, like it's March, we started visits in December. She canceled a few due to having the baby and things like that. I've had at the most four or five visits with this family. Um, so I guess she was expecting a lot more progress than, than what's been happening. Okay, so they're, they're working on more and help. And the example she gave was he's the most motivated to ask for help when he needs 
the iPad or the phone unlocked. So he will bring it to them. He will grab their hand and put it on the screen so they can unlock it. He is not looking at them. He's not um, using any vocalization or his voice with purpose in this moment, unless it's whining and crying. So I guess that is, a that is something. Um, so I said to mom, she's like, I, you know, I'm saying help, I'm saying help. And I'm like, okay, is he looking up at you when you're saying these things? No. What is your expectation of him when you're modeling? And her response was that he say it. And I said, that's too hard. I just laid it out there. I had kind of scribbled out, you know, my steps um, needed to develop verbal communication and that talking is coming. It's way up here. And right now he's working on these skills down here. I said, we need to shape that behavior he's doing. Um, of bringing your hand to the screen into something different. So we've got bringing your, your hand to the screen all the way to talking and saying help. Um, that's a big jump. (laughs) So we've all been there. We all know these kids that are working on responding to people, engagement, um, reacting to sensory input, being able to tolerate and take turns, um, increasing their attention span with another person, that shared enjoyment and eye gaze where it's able to shift. Those are the things this child is working on. However, the expectations for this family is that he just talk. And as I've reflected on the few visits we had together, there were certain things that really stood out um, in my interactions with mom and when I did model things. So she definitely, you know, as I was praising certain things, she was not. So, for example, he did put his lips together and make the sound mmm for more when we were doing bubbles with him. And I said, yay, that's great. We're going to reward that. And once we kind of completed that practice round, I asked mom, how do you feel that went? And she said, well, I hope we don't have to teach him every single sound. And I was like, okay, wow, okay. Um, Okay, so it was just really hard to communicate that might, that's what we can expect right now. If we can't expect him to, or if he's not able to say the word more, we need to reward the attempt mm, for more. If he's using it with appropriate eye gaze, if that's what we want from him, if he's using it with intention and purpose, that that's what we're trying to get. So uh, my speech therapist and I, before the meeting, we kind of did some teaming and we scribbled out um, some things because another thing that 
triggered the handout I shared, I want my child to talk, skills needed to develop verbal communication, is this child is talking. This child is not communicating. So for example, he can label objects in his environment like apple, but he won't say he wants an apple to eat. He'll just see it and say it. He will... um, Okay, I'm back. Sorry, I had to take a quick break. Um, So mom was wearing a shirt one day and it had Minnesota letters across it. And he was able to point and identify and say M-I-N-N-E-S and so on. Um, He wasn't able to answer a question like where's M or what does M say? Um, So a lot of the few words he uses are rote and not in context and not with purpose. Um, So I think, but this isn't the, this isn't the only family I've run into this situation with, especially this year. I feel like it's been a reoccurring theme with my colleagues. It's been a reoccurring theme with every single family I meet. They're able to imitate the screen, but not people. They're able to say this word, but not with meaning or context. Um, so when I was teaming with the speech therapist I work with, I said, we really need to sort out for mom and explain to mom what talking is versus what communication is. Um, they're very focused on that verbal output. Um, but before we can get that verbal output the way you want it, all these steps need to be in place. Um, I would love to take credit for these steps. Um, but I was first introduced to these steps. Um, well, they weren't called steps. I call them steps. I can take credit for that, I guess. Um, but the skills were first introduced to me when I discovered Laura Mize. Uh, I think she's out of the South. So M I Z E, she calls them the 11 skills before words emerge. Um, I have sort of shortened them and shaped them into this visual, um, in parent friendly language and something that's short something that parents can see and visualize. I think when it comes to coaching, that's really what's lacking right now. When I look at all the resources I have and all the handouts I have and everything I see on Instagram and so forth, there really is a lack of material when it comes to coaching families in the home and and resources like that like things that are written for a parent so a parent can understand that um and a parent can connect to what you're saying to what they want and a lot of the handouts too and resources that i have list lots of strategies and lots of words and lots of things you can do for x y and z and to get a b and c done But what I've discovered on visits is if parents understand what their child needs to do and why their child needs to do that, they will come up with the how themselves. 
Um, I have seen parents come up with some of the best ideas to get their kids to do the things they need to do in order to move to that next step and that next level. We can come out with ideas and say, do this, do that. Um, hey, I see you have this. Let Can we try that? But if they truly don't understand the what and the why, there's going to be no follow through because they're not going to see the value in it. Um, and that's what I've been discovering They need to, when parents do see the what and the why, they figure it out and they figure it out pretty quick and they figure out it, they figure it out better than I could because it's their life, their child, they know it best. So how do we get parents to see the what and the why? I think it comes from our direct feedback. I think it comes from them observing their child, um, possibly with, you know, if you need to show them and model that strategy so they can take all those pieces in and what's happening in that interaction and then practice it themselves. Um, It's not enough that they do it. They really need to understand what their child needs to do and why it connects to what they want them to do. Like, why? Um, you know, that responds to people, that second step, that social game games, those engaging social games. We talk about that. And when I say we, I mean like we as an early intervention community, we know how important that is. And with more and more screen time or kids having more access to more screen time, that is like a step that's not solid with most of the students that I'm working with and the families that I'm working with. Um, Turn-taking, another one. We can, you know, talk about turn-taking and model turn-taking and say why it's important. But if parents don't understand the connection to, I want my child to talk, how is turn-taking going to do that? then they're not going to do it. They're not going to see the purpose in it, the value in it. They're not going to create and invent those opportunities they need to create throughout their day. So that is where I'm at right now. Tomorrow, I'm going to have my follow-up visit from the meeting. And it's going to be with the occupational therapist we hope to bring onto his plan. He currently doesn't have one. Uh, He definitely needs one. Parents did not understand why we wanted to bring an occupational therapist onto the plan. So again, connecting that why, you know, he's not, you know, sensory sensitive or tactile defensive, but he's very much one of these passive kind of in his own world. We need to wake up his systems for him to be able to engage because any type of engagement that is not on his terms is very, very difficult for him, which is a very difficult situation to try and teach your child to talk. I want to circle back to the very beginning of um, the podcast here, this episode, and recognizing what grief looks like with a parent. Um, 
it's denial, it's blame, you know, it's, you know, it's Erica, he's not making progress. It's because he's a preemie, um, you know, that type of thing. It's X, Y, and Z. Uh, he's fine. He's just a late talker or, you know, it's, I've seen this mom. And again, I think the pregnancy really made it obvious, um, her grief and, and just what she's going through. And just as a service provider, recognize when you see it and be really sensitive to, um, what they're going through. Um, it's difficult. It's hard. Things will need to be repeated. There are visits where it'll be okay. And then there's visits where it won't be okay. Um, and I'm not just talking or referring to this family. I'm talking about all families in general, even when the diagnosis is very concrete and obvious. Um, you know, for example, down syndrome, um, there's still a grieving process there. It's very obvious. Um, there's a disability and, and things like that. Autism is a little bit different because, you know, it, some people feel it's very subjective. You know, you can't get a quote medical test or blood test for it or genetic test for it. Um, so it's more of an invisible disability versus visible, but that parent grief, just really recognizing like this is hard for parents and that is maybe why you'll see parents that are more engaged and um, following through with things versus maybe not because they're they're not understanding the why. I've had a lot of parents ask, well, why is why is it happening like this? Why why is that like this? Um, and I don't have those answers really, to be honest. You know, um, I don't know why. And another interesting. Okay, so at the end of this visit or at the end of this meeting with this mom, I I said to her, it doesn't matter to me if he has autism or not. And she looked at me like, what? what? Like she couldn't believe I had said that. <laughs> and I said, because we're going to meet him where he's at. He still needs to work on these skills. This um, He still needs to do these things. So whatever you call it, whatever the reason, the why doesn't matter. He still needs to do this. Um, He still needs to work on this. And then we can work on the next thing and the next thing. Um, So again, just, yeah, that grief is really hard for parents. Um, I felt it myself. You know, I am not uh, shy about... Um, raising a child with a disability on the podcast. It's definitely not something that I bring up with every family. Um, I say, I would say it's pretty rare if I do, because parents don't care about my story. They care about their story. They don't want to hear about my struggles or how I can empathize with them in that way. Um, if it comes up organically and naturally, I'll share, but the focus shouldn't be on me. It should be on them. But even if you're not raising a child with a disability, you can still empathize and support that family who is. I haven't come across too many resources for parents um, that 
you know, offer sort of some grief support. There is a PDF out there called You Are Not Alone. And if you search it, um, you should be able to find it. There is a great book out there um, for families who are raising children with autism. The thing that is so different about early intervention than I feel like any other area of special education is we are there at the very beginning. We are there like just as things are evolving and being discovered. And it's a lot more grief. Sorry, I had to take a phone call. (laughs) Um, It's a lot more grief than any other age, unless, you know, there's new disabilities being discovered um, at other ages. But at the beginning of any learning that your child has a disability, the grieving process starts. And I want to say it probably starts before you even know, um, because then your kind of intuition starts to go up. So I would love to hear what you guys use for resources to help support parents with that grieving process or with certain diagnoses. I mean, obviously, the social media has been great in this area for helping connect parents, especially with those rare and unique disorders and things like that. Um, but yeah, please message me on Instagram if you have anything good. Or you can also email me, E-R-I-K-A-B-O-8-0 at gmail.com. Okay, so I'm going to wrap up with saying that I am happy my supervisor made this family, that she didn't let this family get another service provider. One being that there wasn't anything specifically I had done to, to you know, th- that would point to like, you know, Erica's always late or not showing up or there's nothing I did to warrant a new service provider. And she wouldn't get anything different with another service provider is what I was told as well. Um, and I, I just, you know, in talking and reflecting with my supervisor this week, I said, I just want mom to be okay. Like, I just want her to be okay with me. And she pointed out, but you, but it's not you. And I kind of sat with that for a while and I said, got it. I said, it's not me she's uncomfortable with. It's the progress he's not making or that she's expecting him to make um, that she's not okay with. Because that's that was really her only complaint, you know, was his progress. He's not learning from her. Um yeah, he's not making progress. You know, that was kind of the only thing referred to over and over again. So, so that made me feel better and more confident. And this is not me. And I knew it wasn't me either. Like I'm very confident. I'm very confident in development and like, I know, but at the same time, I really empathize with families and wants what, and want what's best for families And I just really struggled with, I, you know, me coming into their home and I'm going there tomorrow. So I hope it goes well. Think of that's for me. Um, And I think it will. 
So I sent a recap email to both mom and dad. Um, Haven't heard from them, but they have confirmed the visit. I'm hoping for a good visit because I felt like all our visits were really good. But again, it's that, you know, what I had to bring to the table wasn't what they were looking for. The strategies and skills I was pointing out were not the strategies and skills they wanted to work on. They wanted to work on talking. They want him to talk. And I've heard that from you guys too. Um, what do you tell parents when their their goal is so high, you know, or so off? They just want him to talk. Really dig into your reflective questions. Um, there's a few that I have found to be really helpful for me this year. One of them is when I hear that at IFSP meetings, I want him to talk. Tell me what you want him to say. And if parents say, well, I want him to have conversations. I had one coworker who told me she asked the parent that same question. What do you want him to say? I want him to be able to tell me what he did today. Wow. And we're talking about, you know, nonverbal kids here still, pre-linguistic kids, you know, that are still working on the, you want him to tell you what he did today. Okay. Well, I want him to do that too. So again, I think it's connecting the dots for parents. They have to see what their kids need to work on, why they need to work on it, how it connects to, to quote, talking. And when I say talking, you know, we all mean communication. But I also, we, we need to start separating for families. Like that's talking, it's not communication. Um, singing to yourself while you're lining up crayons and singing baby shark. Yep. That's talking. That's not engaging. That's not communication. Um, being able to imitate the, I had a parent this year ask me, well, is it good that he can imitate the screen? And I was really direct about it because I just feel really passionate about screen time lately. I said, it's a screen. It's predictable and repetitive. People are not predictable and repetitive. Um, it, it, they typically don't generalize it beyond the screen. Okay, so you want your child to talk. What do you want them to say? Next question. When do you want them to say it? Um, I think that's really key to I've discovered. And I will literally, that will be the IFSB goal. If we're working on communication, it's going to be, okay, what do you want them to say? And when do you want them to say it? If you could choose three words right now, you wish your child could say to you, what would they be? Um, I, I've had really great success with these questions. And then most recently, what is your expectation of them? When, you know, when parents say it's not working, it's not working, he's not doing it, she's not doing it. What aren't they doing? Like, what what are you expecting in this moment? Um, I think is is a really good reflective question. Um, I'm hoping, so I'm working on this series of handouts um, that I'll be sharing on Instagram. I want my child to talk. And I've put out there the steps. I'll put them in the show, the show notes. So you'll see like, The main one, which is skills needed to develop verbal communication, what talking looks like, what communication looks like, and the steps. And then I will have individual handouts 
that support those steps. Um, for example, turn taking is almost finished, shared enjoyment, and those and those kind of key steps that are a little bit harder to explain to families. Um, these handouts, what's going to be different about them is written for parents, to parents, very, very visual. So more like an infographic. Um, I want them to be able to look at this information and think, I can do this and I know how I can do it. We don't need to tell them how. We need to tell them what and why. Help them or let them figure out the how. Okay, that is going to wrap it up here. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it. Um, hit me up on Instagram. If you d- feel free to download the um, the two handouts that are available right now, which is I Want My Child to Talk, the skills needed to develop verbal communication. And then there is the second one that's available right now, Move to Communicate, which is all about responding to people, um, social games. So those two are available right now. And I hope to catch you again on another episode of Rainbows and Rain. Please share it with the EI providers you're working with in the field if this has been helpful. It is available on every podcast platform.